What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode with me, Nick, and my buddy, Ronnie. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PUNTED20 at manscaped.com. If my maths is correct and Ronnie knows I'm not too good in this aspect, that's about 12 million balls. Well, 7 million people times two. Yeah, it's 14, but not everyone has two balls. Have you seen the Jackass crew? Oh, my word. Okay. (laughs) All right. You take it to account wastage. Yeah, wastage and spillage. (laughs) Okay, well, what about those with spillage, though? What about those with three? Those with three, well, the performance package, I'm sure, can help them out as well. So, Ronnie, word of the week. I hear it's vindication. Am I correct? Said, you know, with my best Captain Holt voice. I, I don't actually want to respond to that because uh, we had an agreement that we would both come here and apologize for what we said on the previous podcast. Yeah, you see, am I talking about vindication because Marnie Lubbock performed for the box? Am I talking about vindication because Nick, Swayze, Victor, John all supported me with my view on Rassi? Am I talking about vindication? All out of context. All out of context. <laughs> so we know that's what you refer. We know you're talking about the Rassi saga or Rassi Gate or Twitter Gate, whatever you want to call it. But uh, as I pointed out to you in previous messages outside of this, a lot of what they said was taken out of context. They literally said that South African rugby needs to needs to either back back him up or or, or not. But we can't have a, a, a disjoint or a disconnection between our director of rugby and Saru. Yeah, I think that may have been Victor's Victor's wedding. John Smith definitely called Rassi out a bit. So those that tuned in last week will know Ronnie and I had a bit of a, a debate going here about Rassi Erasmus and and more like team. an argument, right? You got a little bit touched though and 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 told me to shut up once or twice during the argument and then <laughs> they proceeded to interrupt me 30 seconds later. So you know, ridiculousness. Asserting you can apologize for your behavior. You should apologize for your behavior. Yeah, I was asserting my dominance, but I'll I'll apologize, Ronald. I, I sincerely apologize. So apologize then. Yeah, okay, it's unbecoming of a, of a pod, podcast host. But yeah, so Rassi subsequently getting a two-match ban from World Rugby. That was enforced last week against Italy, and he'll also be out for this weekend's test against England. Bit of a, a harsh knee-jerk reaction to World Rugby, but funny enough, the procedures that allowed for this were developed in Rassi's case last year to expedite the process of banning someone. Whether so or not he just he, tested it. Yeah, he just wanted to make sure it worked, you know, the move. <laughs> the, mo- the move. <laughs> but that being said, we're not yet sure if this is the last sanction that Rassi's going to face. You know, this is akin to, to an interdict of sorts, get him off Twitter and out of the, the limelight for the moment. Whether they, they proceed further, we'll have to wait and see. What do you think of the ban, Ronnie? Justified? Yeah, it's probably justified. Look, he, he went out and he, he got a little bit harsh. And I think maybe his intentions weren't to, to throw Wayne Barnes under the bus, but ultimately it did happen. By the sounds of things, people got a little bit, uh, some very passionate South African fans got a little bit heated and sent Wayne Barnes a couple of messages attacking his person, which I think is probably not what we want. Look, I still stand firm. You know, what Russ is doing now, we may not appreciate it now, but we're going to appreciate it in five to ten years when World Rugby's come to the party and made some changes. You know, I don't want to have this episode all about Russi and, and the saga again, but there are some things that I think are very worth mentioning. 
One being that uh, the RFU England's representative have written to Saru complaining about Russi's conduct that was, you know, putting some pressure on South African Rugby Union. On top of that, you know, a number of officials and, and unions actually not enjoying the comments on social media. And then Nigel Owens obviously put out a video looking at that double movement or alleged double movement try from France. And I just want to say to the guy that messaged Nigel Owens, calling him a faggot from South Africa, you do not represent ridiculous. us. Absolutely ridiculous. Delete your social media account. There is no place for you. Disgusting. Yeah, Nigel- I think we can agree on that. That's that's ridiculous, right? So it is an inclusive sport. We want everybody to play. We want men, women, and every every color in the rainbow to play. So by all means, that guy yeah. doesn't speak for, for, for the majority of us, I think. Yeah. I think the, and that's the reality. The majority on social media are trolls. Yeah. Um, and those that actually have valid opinions don't necessarily speak up. Yeah. So you know what, my guy? You can bugger off and watch the Soccer World Cup. We don't need you supporting the rugby on the weekend. The other aspect of it now, Jacques Ninov in today's press conference comes out and he says, you know, the full story isn't out there now wading into the territory saying, you know, we don't have all the facts. My difficulty with something like that is if Russi's got the balls to call out the officials on Twitter, why not give us all the facts? Then you're going to get 100% of the South African public behind you because right now, Russi's not got us all in one pool together behind him. Tell us everything, let us back you fully then. If, if you're going to die by your sword, as you said last week, Ronnie, then that's how you should do it, in my opinion. Well, your opinion is wrong. You realize Ron for Ronnie or Ronald goes right smack bang in the middle of wrong. Oh, you can't spell wrong without Ron. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I then you, I hear you. Look, it's it's unfortunate, is what it is. I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna thank Russie in ten years' time, five years maybe. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that all develops and unfolds. But at the moment, it's definitely a polarizing issue. So, Ronnie, looking then at this weekend's Autumn Nation Series action, quite a lot to chat about there. Let's start off with the first one, Tonga 43-19 Uruguay. Yeah, excellent. Well done to Tonga. Very convincing win by them. I think we, we, we were struggling because we were looking at, the, uh, at who played who and what were the possible, who's going to beat who. And, and we'll talk, I'll mention something about this a little bit later on. But it, it's, honestly, it was very difficult to, to predict, in my opinion. And then Tonga goes ahead and has, you know, convincingly beats Uruguay. But uh, Uruguay played well too. So well done to them. Yeah, I think Tonga can be pretty satisfied with their end of year tour. I think they got some decent results. Then a big talking point, I think, Georgia 13, 12 Wales. I realize you made this a, a big talking point, though. And I think you you want to talk about it so badly because you backed Georgia to win. you know it's actually funny i forgot to put that down in my show notes so thanks for reminding me about that ronnie yeah i did actually call a georgia win on (laughs) super brew gave me some nice two and a half points there which i was very very grateful for but the reason i mean it's a ridiculous call i mean uh, that should never have happened right all we can say it should never have happened but you were part of the one percent that predicted it but look it, it just goes to show maybe seven nations uh, should uh, should be the case and, and no longer six nations. Oh, well, Georgia's beaten two of the six. And with my maths, this, yeah. that's a third. Well so. done. You're, you're, that's improving. <laughs> I'm yeah, look, well done to Georgia. I mean, they could see it. They were so passionate and so chuffed with that win. I think Wales were also pretty poor. They really, really didn't get anything going on the field there. They struggled for any kind of momentum. They scored their points by 20 minutes and never scored again for the rest of the game, which was... 
absolutely shocking from a team that had the likes of George North, Talupe Falatao, and so on on the field. So Correct think- me if I'm wrong, but Wales are now ninth, uh, ranked ninth, you know, and it wasn't too long ago that they were ranked second or first even. They, they held that top spot, albeit very brief, and now they're ninth again. So that's a real fall, though. That's Is that a, a real, real fall, or does it just... Just speak to some of the competitiveness of some of the lesser tiered nations. No, I think for a team that has a professional domestic competition, there's no excuse to to give up a result like that. Especially when you've got talent like you do available to you. Yes, they've got some injuries, but there's some very experienced international players in that side. Just something I thought was very noteworthy of the Georgian team. Their front row were all proper bullies, eh? Like proper, proper. All bold. Yeah. And big beards. Yeah. yeah. And you can see they know their way around the, the keg. Just going to show that <laughs> that old props are the best. The older the prop is, the better he is. They age like fine wine in the front row. No, but that's exactly it. The backline players retire in their late 20s, early 30s, but a prop only reaches his prime once he reaches the, the tender age of 30 plus years. So um, it's exactly that. Props just get better with age. Yeah, so very, very well done to Georgia. They'll be very happy with a win like that. Moving over, Samoa 22-0 for Romania. You know, it's never nice to see a null on a score sheet. That's quite disheartening for any side, I think. You know, I know you're used to losing to me often on Xbox, but I think the others don't enjoy it too much, eh? Just proud of the Pacific uh, Island nations uh, stepping up, and, and it's it's good to see Tonga. It's good to see... Samoa performing as well as they are. Yeah, it's just, it's very tough to see those specific island nations specifically, specifically uh, performing the way that they are. That's a mouthful. I like how you sidestep the fact that you constantly lose to me on Xbox. Scotland 52 29 Los Pumas. I was a bit surprised by that result. I actually was hoping Los Pumas would pull something together. A bit is a little bit of an understatement, right? So I, I predicted Scotland to win, but not by the margin that they didn't. And irrespective of what the opposition scores, if you are able to score over 50 points, you played very well. You know, yeah. your your attack was was on fire. Look, they let 29 points through, but that's fine. If you're still going to put 52 points on the scoreboard, it's going to be very difficult to beat that. Yeah. Did you see Marcus Kramer go up to Duan van der Merwe and he's like, must I speak Afrikaans? Do you want to understand? That gave me a good laugh. Good banter. Yeah, so and I think Finn Russell put on another commanding performance. He's probably righted all the wrongs within that Scottish squad now ahead of the Six Nations. Maybe just a a bit too long of a season for the Argentinians and, you know, in need of a bit of rest now. They're tiring as a squad. Did beat England two weeks ago. And look, they've had a successful season as well. They beat the All Blacks, right? They weren't able to beat the the Springboks this year, so we'll take that. Yeah. Am I right? They they didn't beat us, right? No, they didn't. They did manage to beat uh, win a series over against Scotland. They also then uh, beat the All Blacks. So uh, ultimately, a successful season for them. And they also beat England at home. And and I mean, England drew to the All Blacks now as well. So you know, it's very difficult to predict who's going to who's going to beat who, right? Yeah, no, that's true. But again, I think ultimately Argentina's discipline or poor discipline getting the better of them in that game. Down to twelve players. I mean, they should be getting used to playing. Uh, they should be really good in formats with less players. Like tens. Yeah, tens. But you also mentioned it there, Ronnie. England 25, All Blacks 25. I mean, the All Blacks ran away with that game for the first 60 minutes. They never looked like stopping England were under the pump. And then three tries in eight minutes for the English. And then out of nowhere, I mean, what a great comeback by England. 
just a little bit of a disappointing finish to it all though what what would you have done yeah i think marcus smith's a bit of a pansy kicking that out my question for you is was that his instruction or his decision like it's difficult to say i was wondering that as well did the team say when we get level we kick the ball out or because he's a youngster though so one of two things happened there he either didn't want to upset the uh the experienced english players and not kick it out or his youthful exuberance uh encouraged him to kick the ball out or maybe he like you he just can't do math well i mean maybe he just felt you know it's a win for them to have drawn level after being behind so far i don't know what the thinking was there we spoke about it yesterday they weren't playing for anything other than ranking uh points on you know yeah position on on in, in on the rank and there's nothing really in it it's a friendly so why not play for it if you lose it then then you lost it you still had a great comeback and People are going to shake your hand after that, but go for the win. Come on. You know, sometimes there's moments that come by and you notice them and whatever, but you never pay them much attention. And then six months from now, you're like, shit, that's when it came about. And I'm wondering, because that last 20 minutes from England, it looked like they threw out the the Eddie Jones playbook. eh? It seemed to me like they decided, nope, we're going to change our game plan here. We're going to go against what the coach is saying. That can be a slippery slope if the players start to not listen to what the coaching staff are saying to them on the field. And there's been murmurs of that in the press from England as well. By the looks of things, uh, they brought on their bomb squad, right? So I don't know what they call it. I think Eddie calls it then the finishers yeah. or something along those lines. But uh, they came on and they came on strong. And like you say, those last 19 minutes was, was incredible to watch. As a neutral, though, wouldn't say I'm... I'm, I'm properly a neutral i am leaning i do lean towards the southern hemisphere teams being more dominant but it was great to watch and see england come back and fight back like that yeah just unfortunate how it ended yeah i would have liked to have seen them play that one out and i'm sure the paying fans as well and then another big surprise for me obviously i expected the winner but not so close 13 10 ireland beating the wallabies 3 0 at half time what was that yeah, even more than that. I think it went up to 60 minutes, possibly even, but incredible. So that just shows you two very strong defensive teams, right? So, I mean, can we call them to be, can we, can we call them defensive teams? But whatever the case was in those, in that match, both teams defended like absolute warriors. I also actually noticed or drew comparisons in how the Wallabies played this one and how Ireland played against us. They played a very similar attacking style, you know, not wanting to engage much in the rucks, wanting to spread the ball. And it was constantly going side to side, essentially nullifying one another to get a score so low and to keep it so close. Surprising, of course, because Australia was one had, had the worst discipline record in the rugby championship. You know, they were penalised most out of the four teams in the championship. Yeah. And then to go on and, and, and not give away penalties in their 22 or in their half and, and give Ireland more shots at goal... Well done to the Wallabies. They changed They changed something. So, oh, oh, yeah, proud of them. Well done. And then last one, France 35-17 Japan. That was uh, a big result for France, I think, very much expected. But I must give a shout-out to Japan. How I don't know if you saw it, Ronnie. How creative was that try from the line-out? Yeah, absolutely. Very creative. And then Japan's obviously got a number of, uh, a number of cards up their sleeves. And over the years, they've proven they can beat the best. And... Um, Look, France started off very well, and I thought, yes, this was going to be, uh, they were going to run over Japan after the first half. But then second half came, and it was 14 points apiece, and Japan played exceptionally well. And uh, I thought, you know, they they just showcased that you can't actually call them a tier two nation anymore. You no, actually have to make them a, 
a tier one and a half, right? For sure. And they really do deserve some some proper international competition. We'll have to see what comes after the World Cup. That's normally when these things get re-looked at. And then our big game, 63-21 victory over Italy and Genoa. That was quite an impressive showing from the box. I'm going to start off off the bat. Marnie Lubok, how ridiculous was that long pass that set up Corvus Reinach's try? Yeah, very good. Um, I think I think this was the perfect match for him to get a substantial amount of game time in and build his confidence, right? So uh, he got a couple of minutes in the weekend or last weekend. And um, yeah, not really enough to sort of build his confidence maybe, but then going on to to be involved and heavily involved in such a dominant performance over Italy, it's good to see. And as a fan for us, Box, it shows, yeah, it excites us a bit knowing that there's somebody else that can now play 10 perhaps and um, and challenge Pollard for that 10 position. You know, I just I just wonder where Pollard's going to fit in. If if Libok continues the way that he's playing right now, he becomes our 10. What happens to Polly? You know, Marnie Libok, it was great to see someone that is a fly half. It showed us what having a fly half in the squad can do. And Skalk Berger spoken at the weekend. I know you don't exactly agree with it, but he said, you know, he doesn't like seeing Franco Mostert at flank because loose forwards and locks move differently. And it does have an influence on play. Even if they can play there, it doesn't mean they should. And I think that's sort of the same for Damien Willem. So yes, he can play fly half, but that doesn't mean he should. Once Marley so- Lubbock was on the field, I thought Philly LaRue also really grew in the game and that attacking threat really developed. So I'm just going to say, I, I do agree. Playing a fly off at fly half benefits a team more than people think, right? So you can have the best rugby player playing 10, but that doesn't necessarily mean your backline is going to have structure. And that's what we see with the All Blacks now playing Richie Monga at 10, rather than Bowden Barrett, who is probably the best player. So uh, it's probably beneficial for the All Blacks to play a proper fly half at fly half. And there's obviously a reason why I'm mentioning this. Uh, because you know you you brought up the topic and i think we can agree that sometimes playing a fly half at 10 is better you know what ronnie you played the long game and you made a a very compelling argument now (laughs) i may actually just have to concede that Bowden barrett should not be at fly half who who was this is great news it's gonna it's gonna (laughs) bloody well snow here in pretoria now who would have thunk that marty lubbock playing so well would make me concede that point, eh? Because that's been a bone of contention for quite a while. No, it has. Thirdly, Aronsa, has he usurped Mapimpi's jersey? I don't know if he's usurped Mapimpi, though. Mapimpi's still a specialist left winger, though, and he's still big and he's still physical, and I'd hate to try and tackle a, a big winger like him that runs as hard as he does. But Kirtley Aronsa, you know, he's made a case for, you know, we need to find a place for him in the, in the Springbok team, and with Cheslin perhaps being injury prone as he is right now at the moment, maybe we need to rest him. Maybe we need to give Kurtley Orange a shot. And well, I, I, I didn't think I'd ever say this, but maybe Kurtley has to serve Cheslin. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And I mean, Kurtley Orange has seven tries and six appearances now. Very impressive from him. And then another player that really impressed me is that Italian fullback, Andrea Capuzzo. I mean, he won World Breakthrough Player of the Year now, but what a performance yeah. from him. Scoring the first try for oh, Italy, excellent, Out, outstanding performances, and it's not just the most recent. It's not just the game against us. He's really showed. He's really showed that he's somebody to to look out for. You know, over the last season. So so yeah, that's that's like you say, we'll break through player of the year. Let's let's hope he now that he's broken through, he's running towards the try line. Yeah, I mean it's it was impressive from him. Very young as well. 
and him and Dion Free actually playing together back in the day at Grenoble. So they a little bit of a reunion there for them. Just the last thing sort of on the Rassi topic. Bongi and Bonambi makes comments to the ref this weekend and says, you know, ref, you need to ref both sides. Putting that in context, though, Owen Farrell said pretty much the same thing as well. So, you know, is this now Johnny Sexton does it on the weekend? No, it's not. It's this is this has always been been out there. Because uh players on the field, Johnny Sexton does it every single bloody game. And uh players have been doing it for years. It's not something new. What's new is that uh, a director of rugby takes it to the next level. Uh, players usually say something on the field in the moment when they're heated. It's it's different to Rusty because Rusty goes home and has a beer and then sends his posts his Twitter updates. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to call either player out for it. I think it has become commonplace that players make comments. As a bit of a traditionalist, though, I would not mind us going back to a system where the captain speaks to the ref. Done and dusted. But that is Clean. that is the rule, though, right? Yeah. But uh, you know, it, it, you get so frustrated, and you're trying to prove you're trying to. It's just like you try and prove me wrong by saying Bone Barrett should be playing ten or whatever. You know, you can get quite heated and you can get quite passionate and say, "But you, you're doing me an injustice here," and then speak up and look. Players, players, all players do it, right? I mean, every bloody player out there feels he's 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 being he's being wronged by the referee. But after the match. Hopefully, it doesn't it doesn't leave the field. Yeah, one can hope. And then we look over to our fixture against England this weekend. Angus Gardner, the ref, we surely can't complain about an Aussie ref because if there's one country that hates the English more than us, it's the bloody Aussies. So, <laughs> Angus, we're, we're looking to you for a good one there. You know, obviously, some enforced changes in the Bok team. This test falls outside the international window. I've seen quite a lot of questions on our social media about it. So just to clarify... Because it's outside the international window, clubs are not obliged to release their players. That being said, England only uses locally based players. So they are therefore released for England and they've got a full strength side. The same as we're allowed to use South African based players. We just have a system where not all of them are available and playing in South Africa. Japan gracefully allowed the players to play because their competition has not yet started. So that's so when that I pack that for me a bit more. So so although although the English players well, England rugby players play locally for English clubs. They are technically there's a loophole and they can be released from their domestic club obligations. In the same way that the Sharks, Stormers, Bulls, and Lions players are with the Springboks now, your locally based players fall under your union. The problem is we select players that play outside of South Africa, and then their clubs are not obligated to release them. Okay, all right. So that's the loophole that I was yeah, I was going to bring that up today and ask you about that. But uh, thanks for clarifying that big thing. Yeah, anytime, Ronald. That's what I'm here for. The front or the the forwards for the box. We've got Oxen Chair, Bongi and Bonambi, Franz Malherba, Irvin Etzebeth, Marvin Ori, Sia Kalisi, Franco Mostert, and a start for Ivan Ruiz. First start, third test. Ivan Ruiz. So that's brilliant to see, right? So it's been a couple of weeks now where we've said we want Ivan Ruiz to get a game. And this is a big game that he's going to be starting on at eight. So I'm looking forward to some, I don't know, the mongrel-like performance from him. Yeah, I'm hoping for a big one for him. I actually thought if he was selected at eight, Franco Mostert would be selected at lock, just because we wanted the three jumping options. We've now got four jumpers on the field. So I think we'll definitely be looking at the lineouts this weekend for some attacking potential. That was something the English struggled with. So that's definitely going to be a focus. Then the back line, Faf de Klerk, 
Damien Willemse, Mbimpi makes a return. Damien Diolenda at 12, Jesse Creel. Kirtley Orenser shifts to the right wing and Vili LaRue at fullback. Yeah, happy with that. Um, I would like to see Damien Diolenda get, you know, maybe rest his legs. But okay, maybe one last game before he can rest his legs is going to be doing good. Jesse Creel is always a question mark, but he did put in a couple of big performances recently. So let's see what happens there. Damien Phillips, a question mark though, at playing. Should we be playing him at 10 or should we be giving Marty LeBoc a little bit more game time? This is the last game of the season, maybe to build that confidence now before we have to go into a mid-year or a, a tour next year again. Yeah, that's definitely something I was looking for Marty to start this one. I thought Dear maybe got would have been retained at 13 and Willems at 12. I do hear murmurs that Damien Dear is carrying a bit of an injury and may not be available, which might necessitate that change. And So then, would you say Damien Phillips moves into 12? So one Damien for the other Damien, and Marnie Lebold starts. The only thing that would frustrate me with that is that probably means Johan Kursen comes in on the bench, and I don't feel like he's earned that <laughs> position. <laughs> yeah, it's a sensitive, sensitive, sensitive topic. topic. We can unpack that. If, if Kursen gets a run, we can discuss that in next week's pod. The reserves, Malcolm Mark, Stephen Kitsoff, Thomas Detoy's in for... Uh, Vincent Koch, who's out now due to the, the time period. Marku van Staden makes a return. Eskom, Kwaka Smith, Jaden Hendricks, Marnie Lubok, and a return from injury for young Kanan Moody. I think that's quite a strong bench. I don't really have a problem with this team. Good players starting, good players on the bench. Uh, it's going to be exciting to watch. A couple of players, hopefully we give them a little bit more game time. Kanan Moody, good to see him in there. Uh, and Marnie Lubok, 5-3 uh, split. So... Yeah, maybe that speaks to why we've got an additional jumper um, starting for us. You know, we were relying on the fact that we've we've got some options, some additional jumpers, people that can stay on the field rather than bring a new jumper off the bench. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think I'm most keen to see Itzabeth face off with Maro Itoje. It's always a, a, a matchup that I quite enjoy because many seem to think Itoje is the best. That's debatable. Maybe we can chat about that next week. And then, Ronnie, over to the World Rugby Awards. Some interesting results coming out of there. I must say, I'm actually happy with World Player of the Year. I thought of those nominated, the only one that actually deserved it was Josh van der Fleer. Um was excellent, mm-hmm. didn't have a full season though, unfortunately. But van der Fleer, massive for Ireland when they toured New Zealand. Massive for them in the Six Nations. And again, in the Autumn Nations series. So, well, well deserved. I actually expected to disagree with you on this point, but the fact that you said you agree with Van der Fleer being World Player of the Year means that I do agree with you now. So, yeah, well done to Van der Fleer. He's, he's monumental for the, for the Irish, right? So he's he's an absolute unit for them. Very, very physical presence on the field. For sure, and he definitely deserved that. I think also then Coach of the Year going to Wayne Smith, you know, winning the, the Women's World Cup this year. Definitely a well-deserved one as well. Tay Penning getting the World Referee Award. Not much to comment on that. And then also just a special Brian O'Banner gets a special merit award um, for his contributions to the game. So that was quite cool to see. But I think the big talking point, Ronnie, is this nonsense of a team of the year. Why? Do you not find that that's... uh, (laughs) I thought that that was quite cool that they put that out. How did they select this team? How do you have a team of the year that does not feature Ibn Etzebeth and Adi Sevilla? I'm sorry, that makes no sense. Right, so I think there's a lot of big locks out in the world there. There's lots of competition with respect to the lock positions. 
I do. I have seen a lot of uh, upset people about Adi Sevilla not being involved in the team of the year. Yeah, look, uh, who 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 were you going to usurp out of those loose forwards to put Adi in? I mean, pa- Pablo Matera. Pablo no. Matera. Pablo Matera has been a physical physical presence for the for the Argentinians, and I think uh, you know he has. He's not like Lavanini that gets carded every second game, every game and a half, um, and and. Yeah, so I thought he had an exceptional season, and I mean, he 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 took his team, uh, not necessarily as captain, but as one of the leaders, and they beat a couple of big big teams this year. So I would agree with Pablo Matera being there. Very very good player, but I'm sorry, Adi Sevilla is one of the top players in the world, and if everyone was crying out that he was left out of the the nomination for Player of the Year, to not even have him in the 15 is shocking. And then come now, Tad Byrne for Irben Etzebe. Tad Byrne, great player, but there is no one rivaling Etzebeth for that four jersey except maybe Maro Etorje and Brody when he's in form. I'm going to remain mum on that. Otherwise, the back line, maybe Intermac over Johnny Sexton, but the rest I'm, I'm happy with. I, I do agree. I wouldn't put Sexton in there. I thought Sexton is a little bit past his prime at the moment, and he's just holding on for another World Cup, but uh, in all honesty, he's just he's just rubbed me the wrong way in recent I want to say months, but possibly even a year or two, right? So uh, I'm not a big fan of Sexton at the moment, and I do agree. Intermac, what a what a brilliant player he should be there. Yeah, I think ultimately the fact that France played Japan in July and Ireland won a series in New Zealand probably was the decisive factor in those 50-50 calls. And then Ronnie, so you could say that you could say that New Zealand losing the series in July is probably the reason why Adi Sevier didn't get his 50-50. Yes, yeah, hey, coming up with a lot of good knowledge this evening, Ronald. That's impressive. I love proving you wrong. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, Ronnie, on that note, do you have any two cents for us? I think my two cents just speaks to what we've discussed mostly uh, throughout this, this, I suppose, shortened podcast today. Uh, it's the fact that anyone can beat anyone on a given day. We've seen Georgia beat Wales. We've seen Argentina lose convincingly to Scotland. Scotland, absolute dominant performance. But... You know, New Zealand losing to Argentina, New Zealand losing to Springboks. I mean, I sent you that post that I saw on on uh, Instagram, and you you just responded with "Wow!" But that's the reality. It's it's the top ten, possibly even top eleven, is good competition, and that's fantastic to see. You know, we're we're starting to enter, we're starting to enter into a phase that that soccer has had or football's had for many many years now where there's a lot more competition. It's not just the top two teams or the top three teams and, and, and the rest like it is in Formula One. You know, you've got two teams competing for the, the championship or the constructors and then everyone else playing for, for third and fourth. There's a lot of teams that can win this and this is going to result in a very, very exciting World Cup next year. Yeah, I must agree with you there, Ronnie. The competition is very tight and it's been great to see. And then just to end off with Saturday, you know, 44 tests played between the Springboks and England. 23 of them have been played in England, 16 in South Africa, and five at a neutral venue. 11 each in England. So the box of 111, England's 111, and there's been one draw. Overall, it's 26 wins in South Africa favor, 16 to England with two draws. And this is a long rivalry, Ronnie. It goes all the way back to 8 December 1906. Yeah, fantastic. Obviously, everybody loves to beat England, though. So uh, we're excited and we hope that the Springbok can pull this one off. 
for sure backing the box all the way as they end the season on a strong note hopefully but yeah guys thanks for tuning in this week and joining us please hit the like subscribe and share buttons make sure you rate us on spotify or your preferred listening platform and we'll catch up with you guys next week